There's crispy, and then there's crispy, er. Try our new and improved Tyson crispy chicken strips. Crispy just got crispy, er. Welcome to HBCU 468, brought to you by ESPN's The Undefeated. This weekly podcast looks at life inside and outside of sports from the unique perspective of the Roden Fellows, handpicked students from six historically black colleges and universities. They're young, they're smart, and they are living one of the most unique experiences in American higher education. I'm Bill Roden, and here are this week's Roden Fellows. I'm Isaiah Smalls, and I attend Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm Simone Benson, and I go to Morgan State University in Baltimore, Maryland. I'm Donald Mendooley, and I go to North Carolina A&T State University in Greensboro, North Carolina. Hey, fellas. Great to be with you guys again. Hello, everybody, and Happy New Year. This is our first um, HBCU 468 podcast of the new year. Uh, I'm coming to you from sunny and warm Las Vegas. Uh, where I've been here, um, helping my hiding. hiding from the, you're right. You're right. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a well, and they said, well, "Why? Why are you there?" I said, "Just turn on your TV." <laughs> you know, we're going to get back to the fellows in one second, but let's take a real quick look at the uh, top sports stories of the week. Uh, Larry Nasser, the former Michigan State faculty member and team doctor, continues to have his career unraveled. He was a doctor of the U.S. Women's Olympic gymnastics team, and he's facing sentencing for seven counts of criminal sexual misconduct. And he's complaining that it's too hard, too hard to hear dozens of his accusers describe his abuse. Uh, How do you think the accusers feel? Um, Houston Rockets' Trevor Ariza and Gerald Green will be suspended two games each after the Clippers-Rockets locker room altercation. Blake Griffin and Austin Rivers from the Clippers will not receive any disciplinary action. That has to be one of the most bizarre stories last month. And lastly, there's speculation of growing discontent among the Cleveland Cavaliers, uh, and the discontent is taking them off the championship track, uh, which may have led Charles Barkley to comment, they won't even be in the playoffs this year. Barkley says that uh, the Cavaliers have too many distractions. I think that's a stretch. Anyway, we'll be keeping uh, an eye on these stories, but today, today, we're going to be talking with Isaiah, Simone, and Donovan about Black History Month. But first, uh, by the time you guys, every our millions of listeners hear the show, I will know which teams are going to be in the Super Bowl. Keeping in the condition of being bold, I'm going to have the fellows give their predictions about who is going to be in the big game. Uh, Isaiah, you start. All right. Well, from the AFC, I've learned my lesson, you know, against be- betting against Tom Brady. I've learned that lesson before. So I'm going to have to pick the Patriots uh, coming out the AFC. I'm in the NFC. Uh, I believe the Eagles have embraced this underdog mentality, and I believe that it will be them, you know. All the Las Vegas is pointing to the Vikings, you know, coming out the NFC. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that the Eagles, you know, embraces um, underdog mentality. The defense plays well. Nick Foles is serviceable, and you know they get to the big game. All right. Well, yeah. Okay. We'll see. Simone. 
Uh, like Isaiah was saying, I think the Eagles, this has been their year. I mean, they haven't played in the playoffs since, what, 2013 or something like that. And so I think it's just been kind of, it's been a long time. So I think it's just, you know, it's their year, and I think I would like them to, take, to win it all. And for my dad to stop with flopping teams, he could finally have a reason to stay with the Eagles. So I would. Yeah. <laughs> well, for me, um, I'll have to agree with Simone. I'll have to go with the Jaguars and the Eagles in the Super Bowl. Um, I think the Jaguars have what it takes to finally dethrone Brady um, for so long. The Jaguars have a defense that's one of the most stout defenses in the league, and I think they can match up well with the Patriots, especially with the way they, they exude swagger. I feel it's going to be very helpful for them as they go to Foxborough and take on New England. And for the Eagles, I just think Nick Foles is going to make enough plays. I don't think he's going to be great, but he's going to make enough plays to give that defense some time to rest and take over that game versus Minnesota. So I see the Jaguars and the Eagles playing for the Super Bowl. Hey, um, have I told you guys my um, my fantasy, the perfect world will happen with the Eagles this year? It's a genius. Uh-huh. genius. Hold on. Sure, sure. All, right. All right, so Nick Foles, you know, obviously leads us to a Super Bowl victory. That's that's first step. Eagles trade him to the uh, Browns for their fourth pick. Oh, God. They, with that pick, they uh, <laughs> Quan Barkley, and the Eagles officially have a dynasty. That's my. Opinion. Why would you want another running back though? <laughs> because look, we only signed Legarrette Blunt for a year, and Jay but you still got a Jai. He'll okay. be a heck of a backup. He'll be a heck of a backup. Uh, yeah. you guys are crazy. Can we just get through the Super Bowl week first? <laughs> anything, anything involved with Cleveland Browns completely discredits the conversation. I'm just trying to figure out. I'm just trying to figure out why Isaiah would spend the fourth, uh, the number fourth overall pick on the backup running back. That's what I'm just trying well, to figure that, out. Right, that, oh, see, that's the let, let me ask you. Let, nobody asked what I think. What do you think? What do you think, Mr. Roden? What do you think, Mr. Roden? <laughs> well, let's see. So this is the HBCU 468 bucket. I'm cheering <laughs> for the Minnesota Vikings because Kevin Warren who's the vice president of the Vikings, is from Texas Southern, which is HBCU. And I'm cheering for the Jaguars because Deion King, who I think is a linebacker for the, uh, for the yes, Jags, please. is from Norfolk State. So I'm cheering for the team that's got an HBCU president, which I wanted to ask you, am I missing anybody? Is there, in these four teams, like I said, by Monday there will only be two, but of the final four teams, well, is there an HBCU president? Virtually non-existent. No, not, not. Dion King. Yeah, Dion King. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's Dion King. He's the sole, you know, representative representative of HBCUs. That's it. Just the one that's player. It. Yes, sir. Uh, no more. <laughs> but you know, I guess what maybe forty years ago, just forty years ago, uh, if we had this conversation, I almost probably like a third of the players would be from HBCU schools. Um, I'm not sure if the fact that there's only one that, is that progress? I don't know. Maybe that's the question we should ask ourselves. <laughs> is, it, is, is, it, is it progress? You know, really? But what I want to talk about now, you know, we watched the playoffs, and Stephon Diggs, I think that has to be the play of the, uh, I don't know, maybe the last few years. But well, why, why, don't, hey, 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 uh, why don't you tell the listeners, I'm sure they saw what happened, Donovan. What what happened in that uh, in, in that Minnesota uh, New Orleans game? Because I've got a question to come off of that. Well, essentially, what happened was 
prior to the last Minnesota drive, Drew Brees led the Saints down to get a field goal to go up um, in the game with only a few seconds left left in the game. So when Minnesota starts driving back down the field, um, it's, I, think it, I want to say it was fourth down. I want to say it was fourth down when uh, Keenum dropped back, and it was less than 10 seconds left. He throws basically a bomb to Stephon Diggs. The only thing the defender, Marcus Williams, has to do for the Saints is just make the tackle inbounds. He doesn't even have to make the tackle. Just stand him up inbounds, and time runs off the clock because the Vikings have no timeouts. But if you if you look it up, go to Twitter or any other place, you can see that he completely whiffed him and just completely ducked his head and missed Stephon Diggs completely. Diggs makes the catch on the sideline, comes down in bounds, and takes it to the house for the game-winning touchdown that puts the Vikings in the NFC Championship game. And so basically that's that's what happened. So. Going back to basic so, football, you got to see what you hit. You got to see what you hit. Eyes up. You got to see what you hit. Basic football. Because he lit up his own player. I mean, that's why he's yep. not close. Yeah, he took him out, too. Yep. He, took, he took it out. I don't know. I mean, does he, I don't know. Does he retire? How do you live that down? I mean, I don't I mean, know. he's a rookie, think, so I, I, yeah, I, don't I don't think he has enough money to retire yet. Well, I have a question. So if the Saints, you know, actually won that game, do you think the Saints had the potential to win it all? I believe yeah. that if the Saints win that game, the Saints beat the Eagles. I think they beat yeah, the Eagles. I, I, agree. I, I agree. I do. I 100% agree with you, Donovan. I thought that they were one of the best teams in the NFC because they finally gave um, Drew Brees a running game between uh, Ingram and Kamara as well as the defense. So right. I, yeah, I disagree. They, they are a completely different team when they play outside. I think that the Saints go into Philadelphia – that's going to be cold and all that. I think they may get killed. I think. Hey, Saints- Mr. Roden. Mr. Roden, yes, you remember the last time the Saints came into Philadelphia? They actually beat us. I'm going to be honest. They beat them. They beat us. With Drew B's at quarterback against Nick Foles. So I had no faith. I had zero faith. I'm going to be honest. The Saints yeah, were well, oh, my God. The Saints without, excuse me, the Eagles without Carson Wentz make them extremely vulnerable. And so the Saints, I just believe, were a better team, especially coming down the stretch of the season, than the Eagles were. And so it, when they play in one-on-one in that matchup, whether they're playing in Philadelphia, whether they're playing in the Dome in New Orleans, or they're playing outside on the park, like, I, I'm going to <laughs> Well, yeah. the moral of the story is the uh, Eagles dodged the bullets. Yes. If you look at your sort of your, your career as sports fan, let's talk about walk-off moments. Because that's probably – the most dramatic thing in sport is the walk-off moment. You know, starting with you, Simone, mm-hmm. if you look at your history, what has been the most dramatic walk-off moment in any sport that you've seen? Okay, um, I'm going to go with basketball. There's a moment in 2002, uh, the NBA Finals against the Lakers and the Sacramento Kings, a lot mm-hmm. before he hit that, three, that three-pointer. Mm. I just remember, like, I that was the three-peat year. So I remember sitting with my dad, because I, I, I love I'm the entire Lakers fan, because my dad, you know, kind of groomed me to be that. But um, but we I used to sit and watch Lakers uh, playoff games and the finals games with him. I just remember that game. And I remember, it's like, everybody was to the edge of the seat. And when he hit that shot, we all went crazy. I just, that was just like a memorable moment, nostalgic moment for me. So mm-hmm. what, what about you, uh, Donovan? I'm gonna let I'm gonna let Isaiah go a second because I got my walk off moment is gonna lead us right into this next subject we're gonna talk about. So All right, go ahead, that's fine. I have I have a lot. All right, so we can go we can go. Let's a go lot. Backwards. Let's back. We got one one idea. 
I'm gonna give two. I'm gonna give two. Oh my god. Let's go back two years. Just because you go to Morehouse, you just make, just make your own rules. But go ahead. Yes, yes, that's the exact. <laughs> so let's let me start. Oh, um, in two, let's go. Let's back up two years ago. Chris Jenkins game winning three um, over UNC. That was a good one. Yeah, that, that was, was a good really one. Good one. Yeah. That one, I I hate UNC, so that was amazing. That was an amazing play. Um, let's go back. From that, let's fast uh, backtrack seven years to 2009. LeBron James is uh, game-winning three over the Magic. I'm um, in the Eastern Conference. <laughs> really? Line. Are you serious? Yeah. Really? That was a great Let him have it. Let him have it. They end up losing that series. Like, <laughs> Just let him have it. About? Yeah, you want it? You want that weak moment? Fine. You got Just it. Just let him have it. Weak oh, wait, wait. wait. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Wait, I totally missed one. I totally missed one. Ray Allen's game winning three over the Spurs. Oh, now you're taking three. That was a big one, too. That was a big one, too. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. That, oh, that okay, was, you're that done. Was, yeah, I'm done. I'm done. Go you're ahead. done. All right. Are we finished or are we done? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Now, let's get, now let's get to my moment, okay? My moment, my favorite walk-off moment. You don't even have to go far to remember. You you really can go back two weeks. <laughs> My favorite walk-off moment was when Tua Tagovailoa threw the game-winning touchdown pass oh, in the no. national championship game <laughs> against Georgia for my Alabama Crimson Tide to give us oh, our yeah. 17th national oh, title. Boy. That is my oh, favorite boy. walk-off moment. Well, see, that, you know, oh, that's, that's not even objective. It's like the, but that's that's right. You asked what, what was my favorite walk-off moment. <laughs> no, no, you're right. Yeah, that you're was right. my favorite walk-off moment. <laughs> Oh, Mr. Rodin, what's your favorite walk-off moment? Uh, I mean, clearly, the thing with Diggs was just unbelievable. So, yeah, I, I must tell you, now I'm going to boxing. I'm going to go to boxing. Okay. My favorite oh, wow. walk-off moment of it is Ali fighting George Foreman in Zaire, the rumble in the jungle. And, you know, Ali, again, you know, he was the guy who, you know, in my generation, he was like the, just the epitome of everything. But when he was fighting George Foreman, there was not one single person who thought that he was going to be George Foreman, who had just been murdering people. I mean, mur- people are begging Ali, please don't take this fight because you're going to get murdered. And the moment, and I forget which round it was, but when it became apparent that Ali was doing the rope-a-dope, when he knocked George Foreman out, which none of us thought was ever humanly possible, and he did the impossible and knocked George Foreman out to win the fight. I'm like, that's my favorite uh, walk-off moment. So what makes, you know, a walk-off moment memorable? Do you um, have to win me, something? Well, okay. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but this, uh, for me, I think what makes a walk-off moment memorable is the um, electricity that you feel when that moment happens. And it's something that you'll never. It, it, it's something that you'll never forget because you could you remember that um, it kind of got in touch with your emo, your emotions. Like either you went crazy or it was like you know you just couldn't believe it. It's a it's a shadow shock factor. I, I agree with Donovan that I think for me, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, Isaiah gave one of your three walk off moments. <laughs> I think it's kind of win. It has to be a win. I mean, the the, the, the walk off moment has to result. In a win, in a win of the game, in the win of the series. I mean, you know, yeah. it would be a walk-off moment if Ali knocks down Foreman, then Foreman gives up and ends up winning the fight. I mean, to me, right. the walk-off moment has to be snatching victory from the jaws of defeat. When you thought it was all lost last year, last year's Super Bowl game, 
I I forgot all about that. You know, yeah. the Patriots are down by what, what was the score? What? what? Twenty-eight to three. Twenty-eight to three. And you yeah. come back from that, you know. So that's, about that, 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 that's my thought. But you, you, you Donovan, what? And, and Isaiah, what do you guys think? One element that you guys missed was I feel like it has to be, you know, for a championship. Like there has to be some. Okay, okay. How you gonna say that? How you gonna say that? And then you think of LeBron shooting the three (laughs) in the Eastern Conference Finals that they lost. That was the You can't say that and give your moment winning that. The very first moment I named was Chris Jenkins three. That was the best moment I've ever. So we're just gonna ignore the other moment you said. So you should have kept it at that. Three in game two. Of the Eastern Conference Finals, they lost. They were just accessories. The best moment I have seen was the Chris Jenkins three. I'm not responding to the contradiction. I'm just gonna yeah, very contradictory. Because, yeah, because this is like like you completely just contradict yourself, contradict yourself. But it's okay. <laughs> he did. He really did. The Ray, the Ray Allen one, eventually ended up with the. So do you want to take the one? Do you, do you want to take the LeBron one out so that you're in line with what you're talking about, or do you want to keep it in? The movie finger right and have his lips on. Uh, hey, listen, this is get out of control. So, yeah, uh, it has to be something of significance. You have to be winning a championship. The game has to be close. It has to be contested. Whether it's a comeback or whether it's back and forth the whole way, like, like what Mr. Rhodes said, it has to be a great walk-off moment. Literally, it's a difference between a win and a loss. Like that's what makes those type of games and those type of moments that significant. Because if you don't make that play, or you don't have that moment, or you don't you don't have the guts to go out there and execute um, in the game, you're going to lose the game. Or if you do, you win the game. I think that's what makes the walk off moment so great. Right, and it, to me, uh, it's, it's they're so a unified moment. If you watch the Minnesota game, at a certain point, it didn't matter whether you were for Minnesota or for New Orleans. When you watch that play, everybody. Like would say, oh my God, really? That because it's almost an unbelievable element to it, and you're on the edge of your seat, you know, uh, and you're like, oh, this is unbelievable. I think that's what makes sports sports. I mean, I think that's what we love about sports. It's not like when you go to the theater, you know, or the movie, you know, it's these are unscripted moments. But let, let me ask you guys something, uh, and this is so we'll end this segment with that, but. I know the national championship game is history now, but something has really bothered me. I still have a problem <clears throat> with Nick Saban benching uh, Jalen Hurts at half. Here's a guy who led you to what's twenty six and two or twenty five and two, who's who's dug you out of holes, and then at half you make the decision to bench this guy, basically ending his career at the University of Alabama. Anyway, I didn't think that was right, but I was just wondering what you guys thought. I, I Donovan, you go first. Is you an Alabama homer? Yeah, I definitely <laughs> wanted to hear what Donovan. Has yeah, to. Donovan, what's your uh, Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll talk about this. This is essentially I, I understand the premise of what you're saying, Mr. Rhodes. But if you really, if you break down the film and the tape from Jalen, and if you study the past games that Bama has had during his sophomore campaign, going down the latter end of the season, the Alabama offense had been anemic. Like it, it was not good. Like they weren't moving the ball. They could. They were having very hard. It was very difficult for them to throw the ball down the field and get any type of success moving the ball down the field through the air. 
So they had just been backing on their defense and their running game. And when they were playing Georgia, that wasn't working in the first half. I think everybody saw that. Uh, that and they had zero points at halftime. Everybody saw that the typical way they were winning games was not working. And it's, that's not the first time that it wasn't working. It had been a pattern of that had been occurring, especially throughout the latter half of the season. And I get what you're saying. Like Hurts was the offensive player of the year in 2016, the SEC. I get that it's hard to bet somebody that's 25-2. and two. But I think that kind of speaks to the greatness of Nick Saban, that he had the guts. Great. To go he, he has no loyalty. Because, because about that. But you're trying to win the game, Mr. Rowe. You're trying to win the game yeah. at that point. If you're trying to win the you're trying to win a national championship. What happens if Baker Mayfield had a bad I see he had a bad half. They're not they're not the same though. Think they're pitch him? I don't feel like they're the same. I don't, I don't, I don't feel yeah, like they're the same, Mr. Rowe, because that, when you look at that when you look at Baker Mayfield, Baker Mayfield has been consistently tearing up defenses the whole entire season. So if he has a bad game and cha- if he has a bad half in the championship game, you can't leave him. Otherwise, but Jalen Hurts on the other hand has been subpar for the latter half of that season. When they started playing good teams, Jalen Hurts started he started playing bad. He started, that's just how it is. He started playing bad, especially so the game you with Auburn. I, I, I don't want to belabor the, the point, but Simone, I, you went to Morgan. We believe in fair play. What did you think? I, I know we want to work, and I know we're cool and all that. I agree with Donovan. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. No, I, I agree with Donovan. Like, I mean, you got to do what you have to do to win to win the game. And I think that you know anybody in that situation, you kind of you have to make choices that may not be favor favorable to the latter hole, but it's something you need to do to win. So I think I'm with Donovan on that. I'm sorry. Uh, Isaiah, I know what this man is. <laughs> yeah, hey, I've learned. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of repeat what I said earlier. There's a couple people that I don't really question when it comes to sports. Tom Brady, uh, Bill Belichick, and Nick Saban, you know, are on that list. So, you know, at first when he benched him, I was a little skeptical at first. But I mean, at the end of the game, Nick Saban, kind of, just to reiterate what uh, Donovan said, um, he believed that the only way they were going to win was to throw the ball. And lo and behold, that's how they won the game, throwing the ball. And Jalen Hurts was not their best passer on that team. And you got to do what you got to do. I mean, you're not, at the end of the day, you're okay. not looking for loyalty. That's not, <laughs> loyalty, what? Loyalty does not. You're asking, the, you're asking the players to be loyal. You're asking the players to be loyal. You know, when, you, when we were recruiting these guys. So I'm, I'm, I'm for two things. Does Jalen Hurts have a future at Alabama City Transfer? Jalen seems extremely happy there at Alabama yeah. Will that last? Will that last? I don't know. But for the time being, I mean, he is a national champion now. Um, he, he seems extremely happy there at Bama. Him and Tua seem, from the outside looking in, have a great, seem to have a great relationship going on. And they don't know if they're going to need Jalen down the line again. So it's a hot. It's might he might have a chance of transferring, but I highly doubt it based on what his based on what his perceived mentality is right now. I don't think that's something that he wants to do. Should he would, do it? Probably. But I, I transferred so. to, transfer to Grambling. <laughs> Not Grambling. <laughs> they still lose to A&T. Hey, listen. Um, first, so we're going to take a break and uh, come back in a little while. When we come back, we'll talk about uh, the meaning of Black History Month uh, for the fellows. And we look at it differently because we went to HBCUs and you 
All right, HBCUs. We look at back history month a little different. Stay tuned. Welcome back, everybody. If you're just now joining us, you're listening to HBCU 468, the Loading Fellows broadcast. I'm on the uh, phone from Las Vegas with Isaiah Smalls at Morehouse, Simone Benson from Baltimore and Morgan State, and Donovan Dooley from North Carolina A&T. Last segment, we were talking about walk-off moments, and I think, Isaiah, you had another thought about what constitutes a great walk-off moment. Yeah, I just had a question. I know you, Mr. Rodin, mentioned uh, the Rumble in the Jungle, but uh, I just wanted to ask, can a walk-off moment happen in an individual's sport? Uh, yeah, I think I think so. There's a moment with Tanya Harding. She's a figure skater, and she did a triple axel at the 1991 U.S. National Championship. That moment was huge because uh, she was the first American woman to do so and the second woman ever. So I think that definitely constitutes, um, you know, in an in a individual sport. Well, you know, my only thing about that is, I mean, I, yeah, I see that. And, of course, that comes from our producer, Aaron Matthewson, who was a figure skating person. So, I mean, you know, I think, I don't know if that's the same. I guess if you hit that and land it and that wins the the contest, then, yeah, I would say, uh, I mean, that that would be a walk-off moment. But, you know, I think it's, I think it's a reasonable question. Uh, but, but listen, in the time we have left, as we know, you know, Black History Month is coming up. Um, you know, Black History Month goes all the way back to 1926 uh, when G, uh, Carter G. Woods started Negro History Week. Uh, and, he, and he designated the second week of February because it sort of it was a confluence of, or a combination of Frederick Douglass's birthday and Lincoln's birthday. Uh, and in 1976, Negro History Week became Black History Month. But let me ask each of you this. Uh, what, is, what does black history mean for, for each of you? When did you become aware of it, Simone? Um, I think black history for me is my history because as an African-American woman, I mean, this is something that I relate to more than just this regular European history or um, as such. But I think I first learned about uh African-American history from home. Uh wasn't get it taught as much at school. I mean, you you did told you about the primary figures like Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King. They might cut you off on Malcolm X, you know. So I, you didn't really hear much at school because um, I, I went to school in Arizona. So I learned more about Mexican-American history. Um, but I was taught more of it at home. My mom, she would give me books I have to read. Um, and it's something I was always um, interested in, but um, that's when I learned. I learned Black history young, just from home. Mm-hmm. Uh, Isaiah, what, what what do you think? I mean, you're, you know, you're at Morehouse, legendary Morehouse, and with all its history. Um, what 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 do you think about Black History Month? When did you become aware of it? Um, so, from a very young age, you know, uh, my my father planted seeds of you know knowing about Black history. I had the little placemats uh, at the table with all the black figures on there, from Frederick Douglass to Rosa Parks, MLK, Malcolm X, all of them were on there. So I had that, um, and that kind of, you know, 
started to get the gears moving a little bit. But uh, the first time I really learned about Black history, I believe, was third grade. I had a teacher, Miss, Mrs. Mason, shout out Miss Mason, Mrs. Mason. She was a black woman, and I was the only black kid in my class. It was the very first year I uh, switched to private school. And really, we kind of developed the connection because I, I guess I wasn't, you know, fitting in as well as I thought I, like, should be. Um, and so learning about uh, history and racism from her, it kind of, like, changed my view of the world. And I know that's very early time to start, but... I don't know, that was just my first experience with learning about racism and, you know, the civil rights movement and MLK. And, I mean, I don't think there was a better person to teach me that. Um, so I'm grateful for her. Yeah. Uh, what, what about you, Donovan? Yeah, so essentially what Black History Month means to me is just one word. Um, it's pride. Um, because it's just pride in our culture and pride in who I am and where I came mm -hmm. from. I know growing up in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, I mean, I knew of Black History Month, but you never really get the full effect of black history until you really come to an HBCU, I feel, because when you were, when I was in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, we would learn that we would have a month, the month of February dedicated to black history, but we were only learning about civil rights leaders. I mean, little did we know they had all these black inventors, these black business owners, these black entrepreneurs, all these successful black people that you never that never got covered where I came from in public school in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And so now coming up here to HBCU at North Carolina A&T, and you learn all these different people who have had success and have culminated just greatness over history, and they were your same skin tone. It just gives you a sense of pride and a sense of belief that you can do it yourself. Let me ask you in the time we have left. You know, again, I went to Morgan, and, and uh, do you think that the perception of of Black History Month or week or day is different from you know from those of us who are attending HBCUs than let's say at predominantly white schools? I think so. I think it's different because, and obviously this doesn't go for all students, but I think as a collective, students at an HBCU have just a deeper level of understanding of where they came from and how they got here and what to do with that moving forward. Now, that's not saying that students at Black Students PWIs don't know that. I'm sure that they do. But I'm just, it's just a different feeling of being at HBCU during Black History Month because you see firsthand a different level of success that these black these black entrepreneurs and black people have had in the past before you, and you take that and you learn from that, and you as you try to grow and maneuver forward in life. And so that's why I think it's different. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I I slightly disagree, and I would tell you why. Because I think yes, we do have the pride of HBCUs, and I think that yes, um, when Black History Month comes around, we have a lot of events and things that you know we celebrate and stuff. But back home in Phoenix. Every Black History Month was a huge deal to the Black community because there wasn't many of us. So we made it point made it a point to come together at that time where, in you know, in a situation where we usually wouldn't barely see any uh, any Black people around. And I think everybody comes out the woodwork during that month. And um, I've seen it for myself. And I think being on um, HBCU campus, I personally don't feel the pride as much as I did when you didn't have as many African-Americans around. Oh, I you think that, for granted. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah they I, take it for granted. Yeah, I think there's a, a level of taking it for granted. Um, it's like, oh, February, oh, it's just another month. We all, we all black school anyway, but it's not, it's not the same when you don't really get to see. And I think that needs to change because it's important. So. Mm. Oh, yeah, I was going to uh, agree with Simone. Uh, I definitely think we take it for granted on HBCU campuses because, I mean, we walk it, we walk through uh, the campus every day and we see black excellence on a daily basis. So I don't think we necessarily have to wait till February to honor, you know, the history and the excellence that we see on a daily basis. I think that it's something that we do every single day by attending HBCU. We are living, you know, black history, I guess. So, yeah, I don't think that, it's we take February to specifically celebrate it. I just think it's a it's more of an everyday thing that we're cognizant of. So that, you know, um, we're gonna we're gonna shut it down at that point. One thing before we leave, I just want to ask each of the fellows quickly: What are you guys watching on on TV? Whether it's Netflix or Hulu or whatever. What what are each of you watching, uh, Simone? Sorry, um, I'm waiting for season two of Snowfall to come out come back out, and right now I'm watching Master of None on Netflix. <laughs> Great show. Okay. Great show. Okay. Donovan, what are you watching? Um, Grownish and Black Lightning. Okay. Uh, Isaiah? Um, I have to finish up White Famous at the show on Showtime with uh, Jay Farrell, who, if you guys remember, is from SNL, and then as well as I have to finish up She's Gotta Have It, the uh, Spike Lee show on Netflix. Well, I watched that oh, one. Did season two come out? No, no, no. I haven't finished season one. I'm well, I'm oh, watching yeah. I'm watching The Crown. <laughs> well, watching the Crown? Yes. I, it's yeah, slow. I it starts yeah. slow. But well, of course, well, the whole thing is slow. It's, 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 it's English, but it's all slow. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen. Listen, everybody. Hey, guys, thank, thanks so much. It was great reconnecting for the new year. Look forward to uh, more scintillating uh, conversations with the Roden Fellows. Um, periodically, we'll also be joined by our colleagues from Hampton Grambling, Mania Shabazz, and uh, uh, Kyla Wright. Um, anyway, for the Fellows, signing off. Have a great, great, great New Year. Uh, yep. Wishing everybody health and happiness and love and peace and blessings. So good night, everybody. See you next week. Thanks for listening to HBCU 468, the Roden Fellows podcast. This show is produced by Aaron Matthewson. Tony Chow and Martin Onabu are in the control room. Special thanks to David Cummings. Get all of the HBCU 468 podcasts as well as All Day. What are those? And Morning Roast by subscribing to The Undefeated on the Listen tab of the ESPN app. Join us next week for another HBCU podcast. And don't forget to make The Undefeated your go-to site for a soulful look at sports and entertainment. Have a great week, everybody.